Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa Tabisolohoko and Fili Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, the DRC postpones long-awaited presidential elections and Bloodhound supersonic car hits financial roadblock. In economics news, bus strike by South Africa's auto packs workers has ended and in sports news, Senegal ends 2018 as Africa's top footballing nation. But first up the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The presidential election in the Democratic Republic of Congo that was due to take place on Sunday has been postponed by a week until the 30th of December. There are concerns that the further delay in the election, already postponed since 2016, will heighten tensions in the DRC. President Joseph Kabila has been in power since 2001. The country's electoral commission has cited a range of problems for the latest delay. The BBC's Will Ross reports. It was supposed to have happened two years ago and now, once again, the presidential election in the Democratic Republic of Congo has been pushed back. A fire at a warehouse destroyed thousands of electronic voter machines last week and there are reports that vote tally sheets have only just been printed. The Electoral Commission also cited the ethnic violence and the Ebola virus as reasons for the delay. The concern is people opposed to President Joseph Kabila have long accused him of clinging on to power and this postponement may fuel further suspicion and anger. A UN report says refugees and migrants in Libya are being subjected to unimaginable horrors, including torture, slavery and killings. According to the report, a large number of women and girls are victims of rape. The BBC's Imogen Fox reports. In each of the 11 detention centres visited by UN human rights officers, an overwhelming majority of women and teenage girls said they had been gang-raped by people smugglers. The climate of lawlessness in Libya is fertile ground for illegal trafficking, the UN says. But the report also criticises Europe's policy of preventing migrants crossing the Mediterranean. The pushback simply returns migrants to the same horrific conditions in Libya, leaving thousands of desperate people trapped there. Another initiate has died in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province, bringing to 20 the number of dead initiates in the province this summer circumcision season. The 19-year-old is from Upper Mepinduza village in Butterworth. It's alleged that the deceased complained of chest pains before his death. It's also alleged the initiate had undergone an illegal circumcision. 
U.S. President Donald Trump has been defending his decision to withdraw American troops from northern Syria, where they have been fighting with IS militant group. Trump tweeted that IS is what he calls the local enemy of Syria, Iran and Russia, and that those countries are responsible for confronting those militants. Prominent U.S. political figures and American allies on the war on IS have been expressing concern at the withdrawal decision. Chairperson of the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations, Bob Corker, says Trump's decision was a mistake. We were six weeks away from a major, major threshold in this whole whole fight against ISIS and to walk away from it now this type of retreat is just a major mistake and you know we've shown that we're not reliable to partners with others uh, who've been dealing with us for years in this fight and so we're hoping somehow the president will come to his senses and reverse this And finally, officials at Gatwick Airport in southern London say the single runway airport is to remain closed until further notice. The SAS police are considering shooting down a drone that has shut down one of the country's largest airports for more than 24 hours. The airport has been closed since Wednesday evening after police said that illegal drone activity is being detected. They believe it's a deliberate attack aimed at disrupting people traveling during the Christmas holidays. Detective Chief Superintendent Jason Tingley says officers are are reviewing CCTV footage to identify the drone's make and model. This is a continually reviewed process, so it is a tactical option for the goal commander to consider should we we deem that necessary. We have to take into account the um, the range of the weaponry that we will be using and also obviously the height of the drone and also other safety factors. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective It's 8.07 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, almost 10,000 people are stuck in Arisha camp in northeastern Syria. 
facing freezing winter floods this holiday season but we will come back to this story a bit later on in studio with me i have my colleague nixon katembo who is an african analyst and we are going to be discussing the democratic republic of congo where we've seen elections being postponed from the 23rd of december which was this sunday to the 30th of december um, which is uh, in exactly nine days time Nixon good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine good morning and thank you for having me and good morning to your listeners now Nixon this is a very contentious issue Um, a lot of analysts and a lot of experts on um, the issues in the Democratic Republic of Congo have stated that this postponement is just the beginning of a further continuation of postponements. Take us through that. What, what, what's your take on what's happening in the DRC? Indeed, what is happening in the DRC is very sad to the mind of many and to the mind of the Congolese themselves who have been facing the challenge and the brunt of war, the brunt of uh, mismanagement of state affairs for the past 17 years under uh, Joseph Kabila and his uh, cronies. So the problem that the DRC is facing is is a lack of state institutions to actually, uh, you know, r- rule the affairs of the state in a manner that is benefiting to the people. And uh, not only that, you have people um, and the state, you know, people institutions which are not functioning well. And uh, not only that, you have now rulers who see themselves as a law unto themselves. And uh, that is a challenge. And um, I think what we see now is a, is a, is a continuation of a further postponement of the elections under the pretext that we're going to have the elections and we're respecting the constitutions, but in actual sense is circumventing the constitution and all the laws on the book in that country. Nixon, let's go back to the day of uh, the fire where a building that is supposedly in a very secure area, surrounded by an army uh, uh, barrack and not too far from the fire station where there's a lot of security. How does a fire take place in a building, a warehouse, where electoral material and uh, voting machines that firstly were not wanted by the opposition then uh, seemingly at a later stage uh, we see Martin uh, Fayulu one of the uh, presidential candidates accepting of these uh, voting machines and uh, what is it was it 80 percent of those machines being destroyed Indeed, it was 80% of those machines who, which were supposed to be used in the city of Kinshasa, which was around 10,250, and uh, 8,000 of them were destroyed by the fire. But the destruction is um, sort of a pretext to actually set in motion the postponement of the elections. And you must read history in this case. Congo is not alone. You remember the clashing of the World War One with the evasion of 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 Palo Harbor in the United States, which led then set in motion the United States to evade Japan and eventually throwing the Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm-hmm. Yes, the, that is not only that. You know the the issue of of Iraq and Saddam Hussein, where actually the evasion of Kuwait 
gave a pretext for the United States to invade that country, even under the the the, the, the much choreographed talk about um, weapons of mass destruction. Mm. And I think the this, the DRC as a state has learned from this um, international event and not and many other uh, events that have been happening in engineering a situation where it will lead to chaos and therefore maintain the people in in power for as continuous as they can and this was said because they knew that the opposition has actually categorically saying that they are not going to use the machine but i think the opposition was tactical enough to accept the, the that we whether they are machine or not we are going to go to the elections mm. and now all of a sudden there is issues of saying no the machine have been banned we cannot go with the elections and the, the postponement is a read some 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 mischievous move here the postponement for the election material i mean for or the reason being given for the postponement is the distribution of the electoral material after the banning of the of the of that um, um Seni, um, the warehouse. The warehouse. Now, with Seni coming out and uh, stating uh, uh, with the chairperson stating that they have enough machines, they're going to pull machines from other provinces. What changed? Exactly. That, that's now what we need to ask ourselves. If uh, there has been a guarantee all along that uh, uh, Seni has enough material to continue the election in any way, it is going to is not going to help to affect the the process of the elections and it was on these very stations mm. at midday live this very channel africa mm. where the ambassador of the drc to south africa stated clearly that come rain or sunshine the elections, elections are going take to place. take place mm. i wonder whether it will be able then to call him back to account for his own words because this is the lies that uh, the, the drc populations have been accustomed to and i can guarantee you i have said elsewhere that even this december 30th they, those elections are not going to happen because they will tell you that no well we, we needed much more time to make sure that we, we have a free and fair elections and that the process are credible therefore seven days were not enough can you wait for another two weeks and that one will then set the country in two stations and this is where the regime is pushing the the, the entire Congolese nations mm. that the people can rise up after rising up what you do you declare a state of emergency and you rule indefinitely mm. and this is the trap that the government is setting in motion the country's young people they expected to play a key role in these elections that's if as you say the elections will take place now more than half of the country's 80 million inhabitants are under the age of 25 not only under the age of 25 but you remember for 37 years the current the previous generations of young people who are the current adult only knew Mobutu mm. as their president and the second generation which now you're talking about 25 only know uh, Joseph Kabila as their president as they were born during the yes. heydays mm. of wars and the days heys days of political changes in the country mm. now seeing the transformational uh, processes that are happening elsewhere in the continent 
some other country ge getting democratically elected president. The youth is yearning for these changes. And for heaven's sake, that country is one of the richest in the world mm. with so much mineral resources. They see themselves in the lens of other peers on the continent and they want to see changes happening. Unfortunately, the leaders that are there who think they have a birthright to lead the country and in their view that we came through war, so be it if you want to take us out. And this has been said by President Joseph Kabila, that I came through the gun. So what? I'm allowing you to have uh, democratic processes, so you call me a dictator. But if so wish, I can even remain. And he has hinted that he... He in politics, in politics. In politics, anything mm. can change. And these are exactly the changes that we're seeing with the postponement of the elections. Do you think the international community has done enough in dealing with uh, the issues that the Democratic Republic of Congo is facing? The, demo, uh, the international community has not done enough. Ask also me bearing why. in mind that uh, um, with the observer missions in the country presently, we're looking at 100,000 that were sent through Look, look, let me... You, you speak of the, uh, the logistical challenges of the DRC. Well, take us through that. Whether we speak about the logistical challenge of the DRC, these are just a, a by-side issues that comes along the entire process of the elections. Let us look at how the beginning of the elections were organized. Mm. They were supposed to be... Voter, a new voter registration in place. There was uh, supposed to be a cleanup of the old uh, voters' role. That was never done. There was supposed to be voters' education. That was never done. There was supposed to be a, a consolidated uh, processes with which brings in all stakeholders, political parties, civil societies coming on board in uh, management and the preparation of the elections. And before that all never of happened. that. There was supposed to be a census because another contentious issue is the fact that numbers and registered voters and the people of the Congo themselves don't really know. The Electoral Commission doesn't really know how many voters they have. Exactly the point. So I was coming to all those issues, including the issues of the war in the East. Mm. We have uh, four million people internally displaced in the country. Mm. We, you are not talking about more than uh, 700 to 1 million Congolese people who might be uh, in the neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. Here in South Africa alone, you have about 700,000 officially, officially recognized yes. by home affairs. Mm. But those who are here illegally are not known and they are not accounted for. Not only that, you have them in Namibia, you have them in Botswana, you have them in Zimbabwe, in Zaleka camp in Malawi, yeah. in Tanzania, in Nyarugusu camp in, in, in the western uh, province of Kigoma. Mm -hmm. So these are the issues that were not clearly outlined going to, towards these elections. And if you look at the models of operand of the Independent Electoral Commission, has been taking decision unilaterally without um, even consulting the stakeholders who are the political players. Mm. For, take for instance the decision of the postponement. It came in the morning at 10 o'clock when the Independent Electoral Commission and its and his, his commissioner uh, sat down and uh, decided and then after that at 17 hours 
rather to 1500 hours Central African Times, he had to call in the presidential candidate after making the decisions. And then inform them of the decision and why they are taking these decisions. And then at uh, 1730, Central African Times, then is when he came to the press conference. Now one wonder why. If the major stakeholders are the political players and civil society, people who have a vested interest in seeing that the country have a, a democratic transition happening, you would have sat together and said, no, look, we have a problem. Consultation. Consultation. How do we go about this thing? Then they will be giving their view that, okay, we agree we can postpone the elections for another month to make sure that we allow you to prepare enough for these elections. But that never happened. And the danger to that is that it is a mistrust. The Independent Electoral Commission have been seen as an extension of the governing party, uh, executing what actually the executive tell them to do. Mm. And actually playing as a political chess to to the side of the opposition, including the people who are eagerly awaiting changes in the country and therefore maintaining the, power, the, the, the Kabila government in power. Let's speak on the time frame um, from the 23rd to the 30th. It's seven days. Is it enough time to ensure that uh, they have enough uh, voting machines say the election does continue does go ahead on the 30th of december do they have enough time to prepare themselves for those elections i can just respond in one question as an answer if the preparation were not done in a year what is it going to take to do it in seven days um, or rather in 10 days from, from yesterday from yesterday yes up to the 30th mm. i mean it's, it's clear that these elections are not going to take place whether they take place for heaven's sake god uh, god forbid that my words become true that they are not going to take place and to me that is the challenge but the danger to that is the political instability that it might Mm. generate into the country. The Lower East, East the Kasai region, there's 300,000 refugees coming from Angola who do not have a place to stay. They're still there. They are able to be, you know, easily uh, brainwashed into starting a war. Mm. And this is where we're going. With the vested interest of regional players, Angola is having a stake in the political process in the DRC. Rwanda is a major player in the political process and the, not only political process, economic uh, aspect because Rwanda's an economy. Mm -hmm. Very people know that Rwandan economy hinges on the plunder of natural resources through proxies in the DRC. And should there be a stable government in the DRC, we will be seeing a different Rwanda, which actually is not the economic miracle that we see today, owing to the geostrategic position that the DRC finds itself, but the proximity of the DRC. Now you have an, maybe a de dead elephant just across the road, just go and pick some pieces of meat, and that's what Rwanda is doing. Uganda as well. <laughs> and to your 
surprise, the International uh, Court of Justice in 2010 fined Uganda 10 million US dollars for the plunder of the DRC natural resources. It has not been taking a center stage in why was the International uh, Court of Justice fining Uganda? Mm. Does it show really the role of Uganda is playing in that country? The role of Rwanda is playing in that country? The pretext has been that we are fighting FDLR. But can guarantee you that FDLR, they are not more than 1,000 or 2,000 Uh, rebel strong forces those original FDLR the rest they are just manipulated to suit the systematic plunder of resources of the of the east and of the DRC Nixon thank you so much for your time it's always a pleasure chatting to you and uh, it's a developing story the whole world the whole world is watching and i think one of your colleagues uh, um, um, uh, analyst uh, um, Jean Boissa I learned something new yesterday the fact that uh, looking at the African continent is shaped like a gun and the trigger is exactly where the DRC is and that was Fras Fanon's words mm-hmm. um, in the pitfall of the nations mm-hmm. and when he was t- talking about the liberation on the continent and the, the broader liberation in in Algeria mm-hmm. because that he formed and he was speaking about the new form of leaders that emerged in the continent that they forget the principal cause for which they are fighting for after getting into power and rather than look at the resources and manage them for the continent and he was clearly um speaking about the dearest that if you manage this country as a as a whole the continent have a chance with the say the second world natural forest yeah. in the world the drc if you destroy that forest you are likely to have the entire continent suffer and not only that chairman mao in 1953 mm. when the first world war had just ended now the new scramble for international political affairs chairman mao at the time this was a chinese he said and i quote whoever who get hold of the congo controls the world Let's leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Nixon Katembo, African analyst uh, and my colleague here at Channel Africa Radio joining us live in studio and just giving us a an, an a background and an update on the developments in the Democratic Republic of Congo where elections have been postponed not once, not twice. This is the third time. Africa Rise and Shine. <laughs> Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Channel Africa.
It's 8.26 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, South Africa's Home Affairs Minister Siabonga Kwele has inspected facilities at the Bait Bridge border post between Zimbabwe and South Africa. Kwele spoke to travellers and also toured the facilities where documents for travellers and cargo trucks are processed. He says he is satisfied with the services at the port of entry. Katle Khonyoni compiled this report. Okay, guys. Come and save me. Then overthink. <coughs> Hello, ma. How are you? How are you? I'm good. <laughs> this is a bus from Uganda. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Which bus is this? Which bus is there? We really appreciate. Huh? Okay. Where's home? Empumala. Where in Empumala? Belfast. Oh, Belfast. Belfast is in the Mazama. Yeah, I go to Mazama there. Travellers entering South Africa and those going into Zimbabwe interacted with Home Affairs Minister Siabonga Kwele. His visit was aimed at monitoring work by SARS and Home Affairs officials. Now the, the floors are moving well uh, because they've created these other temporary structures to remove the load from the main building. I think it's working very well. Uh, quite clearly we need to improve the infrastructure in long term so that it becomes seamless. And uh, we need also to look at increasing the personnel and then improving our technologies, like we said in the morning. But the flows with the increased staff we have is moving quite well. I've not heard anyone complaining. The minister also spoke to officials in the main building where travellers' documents are checked and processed for legal entry into the country. Uh, where the way is home? Oh, Matate. Okay. 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 Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, you based here? Meanwhile, the mayor of Musina, Mishoti Mushope, says they are working closely with the police to reduce crimes such as robberies at the port of entry and in the border town. We have a relationship with the SAPS. So what we do, we, we, we involve uh, uh, SAPS so that they can deal with this. As, as we're speaking now, I was talking to uh, Brigadier uh, van der Vaart. I was telling him about the crimes that are happening almost a week here in, in Musina, the robbery when uh, business people are complaining to, to, uh, to, to us, they come to my office and complain. In the meantime, traffic volumes are normal, but traffic officials expect the number of vehicles to increase on Friday afternoon. I'm Katlehonyoni at Musina in Limpopo. It's 8.29 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Channel Africa. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines, the presidential election in the Democratic Republic of Congo that was due to take place on Sunday has been postponed. A UN report says refugees and migrants in Libya are being subjected to unimaginable horrors, including torture, slavery and killings. And South Africa's police minister, Beki Kele, says police are acting strongly against foreign nationals who travel without proper documents and motorists driving unroadworthy vehicles. Those are the stories making headlines. There's uncertainty whether the Bloodhound supersonic car is still coming to South Africa. The car was expected to set a world land speed record of 1,600 kilometers per hour at Hakskian Bun in the Northern Cape this year, but lack of funds stalled the project. The Bloodhound program went into administration after failing to secure investment, but now a British entrepreneur, Ian Warhurst, has bought the business and its assets in hopes to revive the program. Reginald Vitboy had this report that is voiced by Samantha Bekebeke. The Bloodhound supersonic vehicle, built with a jet engine and bolted to a rocket, is far from finished. The project had plans to run the supersonic car for the first time on the dry lake bed racetrack in Aksgienpan in the Northern Cape this year. The program went into administration after failing to secure investment. Several workers at the PAN are disappointed that the project had been stalled as it could boost the community's economy. Hendrik Mastor, a 60-year-old father of six, is among those who were working on the track. I'm feeling bad because I worked hard from beginning to end. I had a wheelbarrow, two men had one, and I had two. I managed them myself. Other workers who worked on the project are equally disappointed. It's over because nobody else gets any jobs because of this project of the bloodhound. I'm very disappointed because the bloodhound was boost for our community and the community was going to benefit from the bloodhound. If bloodhound is coming off on Hakskian Park, there was more opportunities for the people of this Northern Cape. Much has been invested in the project as it promised to be a great tourist attraction and have economic benefits for Akskienpan and surrounding communities. However, with the current delay, the Northern Cape government says it is also in the dark regarding the project. Premier Sylvia Lucas elaborates. So at the current moment, it is quite particularly the race and the, the execution of the whole project is what is under uncertainty. So currently we cannot really give a complete answer as to what is going to transpire, particularly with regards to the race and the testing of the car. There is renewed hope since the Bloodhound program has been bought by British entrepreneur Ian Wahas, which may bring the project back on track. Wahas is expected to outline his plans for the project in detail early in the new year. Samantha Bekebeke, SABC News, Kimberley. 
It's 8.34 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa. And uh, now we are going to be, uh, it's almost 10,000 people who are stuck in Arisha camp in northeastern Syria and uh, they're facing a freezing winter floods the holiday season. This according to the International Committee of the Red Cross, the aid agency says that displaced people have survived brutal bombardment, lost loved ones and desperate for a desperate hunger in the country's conflict. For more on this issue, we're now joined on the line by the ICRC's Adnan Hazam. Adnan, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. Now, Adnan, displaced Syrians in Arisha camp struggling for survival this very cold winter there. Tell us more about the situation. Uh, yes, if you look at the situation in this camp, it represents uh, the situation of how the, the people living uh, in hardship uh, condition in these uh, camps. Uh, we try, uh, as a humanitarian organization, along with the Syrian Arab, reticulating uh, to, uh, to provide what we can uh, to help these people by providing food, uh, water, and also water clothes. Uh, really, the situation is there is uh, hard. Uh, now we are talking about six million displaced people in Syria. Uh, if you look uh, in the uh, humanitarian situation in, in Syria itself, uh, yes, the, the, the conflict was not over, and the humanitarian need is uh, huge. Uh, uh, now we talk about many essential. Uh, and terrestrial damages. We, we try as a humanitarian organization, like other organizations who work in there, to uh, reduce suffering of millions of Syrians. Uh, now, these people have uh, survived serious war. How do they find, or, you know, uh, reflecting on just how they got there, finding themselves in, in, in strand, stranded in the camps? Uh, yes, it's, it's, it's a hard journey for them uh, to, to escape the the, the historicity. Historicity, you know, you know, there is also the year uh, they facing many difficulties until they reach that uh, camp. They are uh, escaping from suffering to another suffering. What we are concerning now, how we can help these people in this camp to uh, to have at least a good uh, condition uh, uh, living. To, to help them by providing water uh, and food and the other needs. The ICRC has been responding to the needs of um, the people who are stranded in these camps and desperate for aid. Just how challenging is it to operate in such wet and extremely harsh uh, weather conditions? Uh, we try our best to our uh, contacting with all uh, parties there to facilitate our work. Uh, we are working closely and together with the Syrian Arab Crescent uh, to, to to do what we can well, available for uh, available in our hand to help these people. Uh, 
uh, really the situation there is uh, uh, heartbreaking. You, you can see with uh, with uh, with some photos, uh, photos that maybe you share it in uh, China. How the situation there is so bad. We hope uh, we could manage uh, in Canada to, to do more for these people uh, and uh, help them to have uh, at least uh, good, good conditions in, the, in that camp. When are the floods expected to subside? I cannot tell you. Can you repeat, please? I was just trying to find out with the volatile weather that we've been seeing with climate change, when are the floods expected to subside? Uh, the the ICIC, along with the with Syrian the, uh, is, is there uh, trying to, um, to do further assessment in different camps say what the media you can provide it to to, to these people. If I get your question uh, correctly. Yes, uh, as well, I was just uh, also trying to find out with regards to the weather and uh, what's happening there, freezing winter floods at this point in time. Is there any expectation or do you have any idea when the floods will end or when the floods are expected to subside? No, honestly, we don't, we don't uh, have a, we, we don't know what mm. happened. But we are still ready uh, to give more assistance uh, to, to help these people if it that happens again. Mm. Now, Adnan. The ICRC is hard at work providing aid. Um, it does acknowledge that a long-term solution is needed for that country. Can you elaborate on that? And is there any um, way forward with regards to um, a long-term solution being provided by the international players? Mm, uh, uh, as you know, uh, as a humanitarian organization, we are working in emergency situation. So for long term, it's a huge effort, especially in the Syrian crisis. Many, 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 main and very important services and infrastructure totally damaged. It needs a huge effort. But for short term, as an emergency agency, we try our best to reduce the suffering of millions of uh, Syria, uh, Syrians. Uh, this year we, mm, we, we managed to help uh, 17 uh, people in terms of water. Uh, we provide food for around 8 million. Uh, this is what we can do uh, and uh, we try to do more uh, if we can. Adnan, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. That's Adnan Khazam of the International Committee of the Red Cross joining us live from Syria. Abari, etise, mache, mingabo, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song. Every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time.
Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. As United Kingdom politicians continue to disagree over Brexit, the BBC has travelled to the other side of the English Channel to see what the people in the French port of Calais are making of it. They found everyone in town assuming that the UK is going to crash out of the EU without a deal and making their plans accordingly. The BBC's Kevin Connolly reports from Calais. It is numbingly cold at the Christmas fair in Calais and the wind chill has driven all but the toughest tourists and townies away from the icy glitter of the neon-lit merry-go-round. It's pretty quiet. In Calais these days, where prosperity depends on proximity to England, it's always quiet. Calais is dead. Retired local wine merchant Luc Gilles is running a snack stall mulling wine and mulling the way in which Brexit is keeping away the Brits who were already spooked by the weakness of sterling. I stopped uh, four months ago. It's finished. C'est fini. Okay. It's fini. I stop. I sell it. I sell it. I stop because no more customers. 20 years ago in my shop I remember it's 80% British, 20% French. After that it's 50-50. And uh, the last time is 90% French and 10% British. It is now only just over 14 weeks until the UK leaves the EU. And I know many they are following Brexit in minute detail here, loving the theatrical knockabout in the House of Commons, but worrying where it's leading. Local MP Pierre-Henri Dumont, who's on the Brexit committee at the National Assembly in Paris, came back from meetings at Westminster convinced that the UK is going to crash out with no deal. No one agreed on anything. You had no common views of your political leaders on your political parties on what what Brexit should be. We, as your closest partners, we need to have clear answers to what's going on next and we are 100 days away from the Brexit and we don't have any clue yet on how we could deal with you in the next few months. It's, it's really scary, actually. At the port of Calais, they are planning new refrigerated sheds to inspect meat imports from the UK. Under the current single market rules, there are no checks. They're also preparing a new sea route to Dublin, so the trucks bound for Ireland will no longer head through England and Wales. The head of the port of Calais, Jean-Marc Puissesseau, says it looks like no deal to him too. I think there will be no deal, because I am only looking at the situation. I can tell you in France also we think there will be no deal. A lot of people think that. The wish of England is that there is of course a Brexit, but nothing should change. Many times I heard that, but many things will change. I think they should be very worried. I think they don't see the truth. I think they don't see the reality. I, th- I think they don't see the consequences. There are white cliffs around Calais that precisely match the white cliffs of Dover, evidence that once it was geology which divided us. In the Channel ports, 
they're starting to worry that the looming political fissure might prove just as deep and just as permanent. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoku. In news just in, Japanese prosecutors have raided the Tokyo home of Carlos Ghosn, as the former chairperson of the Nissan Motor Company who was sacked last month for alleged financial misconduct. I'll have details on that story in the next hour. Moving right along now, the two-day bus strike by South Africa's Autopax workers is over. Workers at Autopax, which operates a city-to-city and a Translux buses, stopped working on Wednesday. They were aggrieved by a change to the salary rate for Sunday work as the passenger rail agency Prasa, which is the holding company for Autopax, intervened and an agreement was reached to reverse the change. Close to 4,000 bus commuters had been left stranded by the bus strike. Workers' Union Satawu says that their members are now back at work. Satawu Zanele Sabela reports. The workers at uh, Autopex, I actually went back to work yesterday afternoon after a meeting with the group CEO of Prasa. After this, it decided that their outstanding monies would be paid today and that um, the group CEO would meet with them again um, on the 17th of January to discuss all their grievances because they were very unhappy with what was happening at the company. Namibia's Finance Minister Shale Sloten has denied the depression state of the economy, rather calling it a prolonged recession with the signs of slow recovery emerging. In a press statement on the state of the economy released... The minister said Namibia is a small and open economy. However, to date, external factors and to a lesser extent, domestic factors have caused the economy to slide into an undesired direction and debt increase, although there are positive signs of recovery. Libya's National Oil Corporation has announced that the Libyan state's September oil revenues were 1.66 billion US dollars. This amounts to a rise of nearly 93 million US dollars, up 5.6% on the August figures. The revenue includes the sales of crude oil and derived products in addition to taxes and royalties received from concession contracts. These hydrocarbon revenue figures put Libya on track to achieving the burst earnings since 2014 and is used wisely. It could help kickstart the country's stalled economy. Holdings company Luzika Limited is set to launch the first mobile money service in South Sudan following an agreement with the Bank of South Sudan. Besides mobile money transfer and payment services, the new service, dubbed Nalpay, will now allow users to make e-commerce and electronic financial transactions, widening financial access to the country's 13 million citizens. The move could kick off a flurry of investments in the country's nascent financial technology sector as operators look to the Horn of Africa nation for new growth opportunities. 
The US dollar is trading at 10.49 Botswana Pula. It's at 11.89 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, that's the US dollar is trading at 3.86 Brazilian Real, at 67.73 Russian Ruble, and at 69.88 Indian Rupee, 6.88 Chinese Yuan, and $14.32 to the South African Rand, 78 pence to the British Pound, 87 cents to the Euro. Gold is trading at $1,259. Platinum, $791 pounds. The price of brand crude oil is at $54.60 a barrel from an African perspective. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, we betting off with cricket news. Aza Ali and Baba Azam hit centuries on the second day of the three-day match against a South African Invitation Eleven at Wilmore Park on Thursday in Pakistan's only warm-up match ahead of a test series against South Africa. Azam made exactly 100 and Baba scored 104 not out before the Pakistanis declared on 306 for 7, 12 runs behind the Invitation team's first innings total. The Invitation 11 were 45 for 1 at the close, an overall lead of 57. The Pakistanis were struggling on 112 for 5 before Azar and Baba came together in a sixth wicket partnership of 155. Azar survived a mini collapse in which three wickets fell in the space of 19 balls and played a solid innings during which he hit 12 our fours and three sixes. Baba stroke 11 fours and three sixes during 129 ball innings. And in football news, South African football legend Tsia Bonganomvete is set to take to the field for one final time as professional footballer on Saturday. The 41-year-old announced back in September that 2018 will be the last of his 24 years of playing the sport at the highest level. As things stand, the upset premiership Deben Derby between Amazuri and Labonville Golden Eros in Umlazi will be his final game. The former Fana striker has been in good form leading up to the game, scoring twice in his last two appearances for Usutu in recent weeks. His coach Kevin Johnson admitted he was sad to see Nomveto go. Well, Bele is retiring and uh, for now, as far as we, we, we know, uh, it will probably be his last game. It said, it, we did say December and uh, nothing, we, nothing has been discussed, nothing has been spoken. So for the club... For me, as we stand here now, probably a Christmas present for Bele. In rowing, rowing is one of the sporting codes that often produces medals for South Africa at Olympic and Commonwealth Games. So Weto Rowing Club wants to contribute to that by producing stars that will hoist the country's flag sky high. However, lack of proper infrastructure and facilities are the biggest hurdles for this club with its high expectations. That was until Rowing South Africa appointed Jacob Pella as the head coach of the club in 2008. Pella has been at the helm of the club ever since then and is so passionate about his club. Legs, arms need to be connected with the blade in the water. Okay, let's do it. Are you ready? If we can get one of the boys 
in the national squad. That will be the biggest achievement. And the other thing is, if I can have a steady crew of girls who rose and no problems, that will be another achievement because we battle. We battle with girls and we really need to get them to be involved. The Soweto Rowing Club is operating from the Orlando Dam next to Palmer Park. There are challenges that make it difficult for Pella to run the club smoothly. A lack of basic facilities such as rowing boats and ablution blocks make it difficult for club members. We need to build a boathouse where we can store the boats and then we need some fleets. We don't have transport for the kids. If somebody can just come from heaven and drop the bus and say that bus is going to be used for the kids to transport them everywhere. Because look now, if we want to go to the camps, for instance in Pretoria, we need two grand to take the kids there. When we get to Pretoria, we need to pay for the hotels. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. A DRC postpones long-awaited presidential elections. A bloodhound supersonic car hits financial roadblock. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuto Ramagadza and Komutsu Mopulane, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, Send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327, or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Now, taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to South Africa is a dedication or a condolence message to our family here at Channel Africa Radio and the Daweti family. Our program's manager, Bralungi Daweti, has passed on, and this is for him and the family here at Channel Africa Radio. Condolences to everyone. Paul Hardcastle, you may be gone. You always show me how much you care.